I am the might before the sword, the tremors and the spear shaft. I craft my ways from blazes of firestorms, absorb the failings of deadened ends to render the floors I dance upon. I am the spaces between applause, the roars of hearts running through heaven's halls. I breathe the forms of light and silence, stall the course of cosmic riots. I am the glory of the giants Manaslu, Sagomatha, watchmen of the Asian plains. They yield my name, made famous through the cries of albatross flocks inflamed in Pacific fires. I am dressed in the spray of Nevada dunes, clothed in the shadows of Sahara caves. I am the light of lunar flames, fleshing the rains of Amazonia. I paint the trains of Antarctic quests, release dominion to desert Panthera. I authorize the remains of Aztec and Inca that bloom through the visions of mountain tribes. I ride the skylines, breathe the signs, ignite the paths of astronomy's eyes. I am the unheard, heard in the storms that burn on my words. I am the yearned for, I am the word. I am the truth they call release. When the darkness flares and starts to speak, I sculpt the shades of daybreak. It is me you see. So how y'all doing tonight, C12? Yes, in the dark. We're just going to be in the dark the whole night. Don't even worry about it. Hope y'all are doing well. Uh, real quick, want to ask you a question. How many of you like to eat food? I, like, There's more of an excitement when I talk about food than any other thing that happens. That's good. It's because you're all starving, broke college kids. Um, how many of you like free food on that note? Yeah? Okay, awesome. Well, then here's the deal. Next week, you're going to want to make sure you're here because next week we are having some food trucks here at C12 on us. All right? So we'll have some food trucks. We'll have King of Pops. They'll be here as well for your enjoyment. This would be an awesome opportunity to invite your friends unless you're a super selfish person. You're like, no, because I don't want to share the food. I want to make sure I get mine. But I promise there'll be enough. So please bring your friends. Another reason why you want to bring your friends... Um, how many of you enjoy dressing up for the occasion? How many guys just are like, yeah, me? And all the girls screamed because, okay, it's fine. Well, what we want to do is have a, little, allow, have a little fun next week with the food trucks because we're going to have a giant dodgeball tournament. So how many, where's Sheldon? Is Sheldon in the room? Where's Sheldon? Sheldon, you are not allowed to play. You're a college pitcher. I don't really... Um, I don't want to die, and neither do they, uh, but everybody else is fully allowed to play. Uh, we're going to have a dodgeball tournament, so you should dress in, for the occasion like you want to play dodgeball. Then when you get here, we'll kind of divvy up some teams, have some fun. It'll either be in the lobby in kind of this dome we're going to make or outside. It's going to be incredible. I promise you don't want to miss it. You can hear more about it on our social media. You can follow us like you got to see in the slides beforehand, at C12Stone on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We would love for you to stay connected. Now, we are going to jump in to week three of this series called Seeking God. And in this series, what we're talking about is the ability to pursue God, the desire that you should have to go and find him, to develop a relationship with him, what it looks like and how it affects your life. And so in week one, we started by talking about the promises of God and that when you understand his promises for you, it enables you, it unlocks something for you to go and seek him. We talked about James 4.8, the promise of God that says, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. 
James tells us, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And he loves us. And we see that he loves us because of something that Dave Harvey says. That the depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. The depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit. And Jesus loved you so much that he stepped out of heaven to pursue you and he died in the pursuit. It's about as intense as it gets. And so last week we talked about the the reality of seeking God even when it's difficult, even through the pain. And how Satan's plan for you is to avert your pain. Never wants you to experience it. It's why Jesus told Peter in Matthew, get behind me, Satan. Four verses after he said, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on you. That's how good you are. Because Peter wanted Jesus to avert the pain that was about to come in his life by being crucified and dying. But see, the truth is, unless Jesus had died, the death he did became a sacrifice for us. The resurrection could have never happened three days later, and we would have no hope for life because there would be no way to defeat death. And so you can't avert pain. You have to press into it. And as you do, you'll get to grow up. You'll get to continue learning how to seek him in all seasons of life. And so tonight we're going to kind of press in again into what it looks like to seek God. Underneath this banner, the idea of this, this is kind of, if you had a, a title for tonight, it would be this. Let's go love on people. Let's go love on people. And so as you hear that, you might be like, I don't, like, that's weird. I don't know what he's talking about. Let me explain something, okay? Uh, Every single Thursday before we start C12, we have leadership prayer. So we have leaders here at C12, people we've invited in to kind of uh, carry the torch and make this entire thing happen. And we all gather at 630 with some other people to pray, our entire worship team, uh, me, all of our leaders. And we pray for about 30 minutes for the night and for you. For you specifically. And so if you ever wanted to come and get some intense prayer, you can join us at 630. That's, that's all I'm saying is that it's awesome. And at the end, every single Thursday for leadership prayer, at the end, as we're all gathered here in a circle, as soon as we're done, leaders in the room, what is it that I always yell? <laughs> Alex is super excited because she wants to always say it, and I don't ever let her. A few times. Let's go love on people. That's our, our call. That's our beckoning. That is our banner that we carry out into C12 to go and love on y'all, to go hang out with you, to go and make this place all-inclusive so that you could know that everyone is accepted, everybody's welcome, that as you come through these doors, that's the invitation of Jesus, that you would feel warm and welcomed and invited in this place. That's my hope for you. Clicks don't exist here. This isn't a popularity contest. This is Jesus we're talking about. And that's what we're going after. And and my prayer is that you would see the truth tonight of what that looks like to be someone who lives out that banner, those words. Let's go love on people. Now, for me, I've had to learn what this looked like through my life uh, because it's going to become very personal. Uh, Tonight, we kind of talked through the uh, the idea of, of the way that you seek God, it can become very personal. It can become very much about you. So if I believe God's promises and I seek him, he'll come and find me and he'll be there, me. Or last week, if I seek God through my pain, I'm going to continue to press into what it is that he wants from my life, me. And tonight's going to kind of flip it on its head a little bit. Because tonight we're going to realize that when you seek God, it's not actually all about you. Let me say it this way. You were not designed to be a cul-de-sac. You were not designed to be the place where all of the flow of the traffic stops. You were designed to be someone that as you are poured into, you also pour out. So what does it look like then to go pour out on others? To go love on people? To be a contributor and not just a consumer? 
you show up in this place every single week, and you're like, man, C12 is awesome. That guy, where is Aaliyah here? Aaliyah, where you at? Aaliyah. Aaliyah? Okay. I, I'm calling out Aaliyah because Aaliyah, Aaliyah is like, she's like my urban dictionary. So I like, listen, I'm a 30-year-old white dude, okay? There are things I don't know, and I want to know. And so I got a few of you that I'm like, please help me. Where's Bethany? Bethany, where you? Be- Bethany's like my, my fashion advice. I wore something one day, and she was like, Matt, what are you, what are you doing? I was like, oh, crap. My wife didn't dress me this morning. Sorry, I, I apologize. And see, you may come here every single week, and you're like, ooh, that's fire. Is that, did I get that right? This? Okay, see? I'm learning. <laughs> or if Taylor Smith was here, she'd be like, retweet. Okay. See, I'm learning. You may come in here and you're like, man, this place is awesome. These people are fun. I enjoy being here every single week. And then every single week as you hear that, you walk right back out and nothing changes. Nothing's ever affected in your life. You don't go and share anything of what you're taking in. You're a consumer. You're a cul-de-sac. And God did not design you to be a cul-de-sac. He designed you to be someone that as you are poured into, you also then go and pour out. You go love on people. And so the challenge for tonight is that you would see how this affects your life, how that plays into the reality of seeking God and of living out his purpose for you. So when we say go love on people, what exactly is that that I mean? Well, my primary thought about loving on people is actually sharing, sharing and showing what Jesus has already done in you. Loving on people is sharing and showing what Jesus has done to you. So I'm not saying you need to go become a preacher and yell from the mountaintops to everybody how great Jesus is. Maybe the best ministry you could ever do to somebody is to be their genuine and authentic friend and for them to look at you when something happens and to think, something's different about you. What is it? That your life, you can show people, you can love on people by showing them with your life what it looks like to seek God, to find him. And see, the opposite of that, we actually, or actually, not the opposite, but the the epitome of that is seen in what Paul actually tells Philemon. So we're going to open up to the shortest book in the entire Bible, the book of Philemon. And in Philemon, it's in the New Testament right before Hebrews. And if you have no idea, who's never even heard of Philemon? Hey, I see you, all right? That's why there's a table of context in the Bible, a table of contents in the Bible, all right? So open up to the very beginning, table of contents. You can find where Philemon is. If you want to open up to the Bible under your chair, I believe it's page, uh, is it 10, 1202? 12, 1202, 12, is that right, I think? I'm going to read from mine. We're going to have it up on the screen as well. But what I want us to see is exactly what Paul, the writer of Philemon, is encouraging Philemon to do. To go love on people. To share and show the love of Jesus to others. To stop making it all about himself. To stop being a consumer and continue being a contributor. That as you seek God, it's not all about you. It's about taking that love elsewhere. So we're going to lead from Philemon chapter 1 because there's only one chapter. And we're going to start in verse 4. Philemon 1, verse 4, goes like this. They'll have it on the screen as well for you to follow along. Do they have it on the screen as well to follow along? There it is. Ding, ding, ding. It says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Paul to Philemon. Keep going. I want to make sure you get the right verse. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing that we share for the sake of Christ. 
Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. It's Philemon 1, 4 through 7. Now, I want to read it from my version so you can see a little bit of the language change and how it really turns this entire context of this letter to him. It says, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Verse 6. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is, in, that, is, that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, it's in verse 6 where he says, And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And so what does it look like to share your faith? What Paul says, whenever we share our faith, what Philemon is doing, he's actually encouraging the saints. He's encouraging others that already follow Jesus, others that have already given their life to Jesus. Philemon's life and sharing his faith is refreshing to them. And what I would argue is that your life, when you share your faith, isn't just refreshing to the saints. It's refreshing to everybody. Because when you have Jesus, you now live in the light. You have hope. Your eyes are opened and you are awakened to the reality that without him you have nothing, that you were in darkness and now you have light. And yet maybe your life, by living that out, by sharing your faith, you then become a light to those in darkness. If you've ever been in a pitch black room, it doesn't take but about a pinhole sized light to make you go, and wait a minute, that's different. It doesn't take much at all to see where light is if, if you're just surrounded in darkness. And so no, this is tonight's message is for everybody. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have 10 years experience of following Jesus. You don't have to know all the Bible. You don't have to read it every day. You don't have to have a great prayer life. You know what you got to do? It's that you got to love Jesus. You got to follow him. You got to trust him. You got to obey him. And then you just got to be you. Authentically you following him, not perfect, by no means perfect, but seeking him and sharing your faith, showing and sharing others what it looks like. I would argue that, that doing this is the greatest single sign of love that you can ever show someone. And that point got hammered home to me as I saw a video uh, by, by a comedian. His name's Penn Gillette. Who's ever heard of Penn and Teller? Penn and Teller, anyone? All right. They're a comedic act. They do magic and all this other stuff in Las Vegas. When you see him, maybe you'll recognize him. Penn Gillette is a huge dude, like would totally tower me. He's huge. He's a commanding presence. And he's also a, a fully uh, admitted atheist. He has no qualms about it. He says, well, God doesn't exist. Like he talks about it like it's true. Well, since God doesn't exist, blah, 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 blah. And something happened to him after a show in Las Vegas. And then he was so moved by what happened, he was given a Bible by somebody with a note in it. Like, known atheist, given a Bible by a stranger that saw his show the night before. And he was so moved by it that he actually turned on the camera and gave a little bit of a response of what that showed him. Y'all take a look. And then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not 
getting eternal life or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God. And one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness... Uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. That, thanks, Ben. Appreciate that. And the organ at the end. Now, you may have heard him say a big word, proselytize, and be like, what did he do? Did he just cuss us out? No, he didn't. I promise. He did not. Proselytize means to share your faith, to share what it is that you believe. And his words were, how hateful do you have to be to believe in God and in heaven? And that if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have God, you're not going to get to go to heaven. How hateful do you have to be to believe that and then not tell everybody else about it? And then the picture of, if I saw a truck barreling down at you, I've got a decision to make. I can let you die. Or by the end of the, there comes a point where I'm going to have to tackle you to get you out of the way to save you. I'm going to have to do something because I know what you don't know. So when you think about your life, when you think about sharing love, going and loving on others, let's go love on people. How good of a job are you doing at that? And this is not mean to guilt you by any means. Because what I want you to see over the next few seconds is that this has nothing to do with your ability to communicate to everybody. You don't have to be a wonderful speaker to go and tell everyone about Jesus. All you have to do is share and show them what Jesus has done in you through your life. And see, as you seek God, as you continue to get to know him, you develop a relationship with him, maybe questions even come in. And then maybe you're a little bit afraid to share about Jesus because someone may ask you a question, and you're like, well, I don't know how to answer that. So if they ask me something I don't know how to answer, am I like, done? And then you feel like, well, I'd be embarrassed, so I shouldn't do it. Let me explain why it doesn't even matter. So one of the questions, one of the theological questions that we hear a lot of times in the church, or that people like to argue about, the, uh, the, the isms. Let me just tell you, I hate isms. Not a fan of the isms. By the isms, I mean the over 
the overhype on one direction of one thought. And the main one that we like to see is Calvinism versus Arminianism. How many of you have ever heard of that argument? Calvinism versus Arminianism. All right. Here's basically what it means. The Calvinist would say that God is, has complete and total sovereignty and that we have complete and total depravity, that there is not a single ounce of good that we could ever do on our own. And so God chooses us. That's what the, that's what the Calvinist would say. The Arminian person on the other side would say, yes, God is fully sovereign. And while, yes, we are fully depraved, we have the ability to choose God. So the Calvinist would say, God chooses you. The Arminian would say, you choose God. And if you let your mind think on it, you can see how that could become very confusing in how you view God. A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about you is what comes into your mind when you think about God. And how you answer that question might actually determine a lot of how you believe and think about God. But what I want to show you is my answer to where I fall and what I believe about that thing. And some of you are like, is he really going there? Like there's residents in there and they're like, is he allowed to do this? What's <laughs> happening? I got to, de- I got to do a um, kind of a Q&A with some of the leaders of H12, our high school ministry here at the church. It was over the summer and I was hanging out with all the leaders of H12 and, and I don't know what they thought of me. Like Derek Idle, our high school pastor, is like, he could kill me probably by looking at me. If you ever, he's just, he's a meathead that loves Jesus and loves to hunt, okay? And I love you, Derek. If you listen to this, my office is right next door. Come and find me. But I walk in and they start asking me questions. And they're talking about ministry. They're talking about my life. They're talking about my beliefs. They're talking about my story and just all these things. And then one of them said, where do you fall on Calvinism versus Arminianism? Predestination versus choice. Where do you fall? And I was like, really? Like, you're trying to trap me right now? I don't like to answer that question, and I don't like isms because isms are divisive. The moment I make a statement or a stake in the ground of it is this and it is not this, I've automatically divided half the room to believe the other way. And the gospel is not divisive. And so the moment you make claims like that, now what you're saying is some of you are wrong and some of you are right. And it's all the way that you view it. And the problem is that both exist in the Bible. You could find evidence of both of them. Now, I may have a leaning of one way, and if you listen to the things I teach, you'll probably hear that leaning. But my answer to them in that moment was this. It doesn't matter. And they're like, what? Is he, allow- is he allowed to say that? Yes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because I know that I have Jesus, and that's all that matters. It's just Jesus. Whether I chose him or he chose me, I got him, and that's all that matters. And here's why it really doesn't matter. It changes nothing of what I do with my life. If I have a friend that doesn't know Jesus, I don't care if he chooses Jesus or Jesus chooses him. I'm going to go tell my friend that doesn't have Jesus so that he can get him. It changes nothing. It changes nothing of the approach. If the depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit, then however you answer a deep theological question like that changes nothing in how you should go love on people. The intensity with which you should go love on people. Now, let me take that blanket story, make it a little more personal. One of the closest friends in my life, his name's Jim. Jimmy. Edward. It's really Jim, but we all make fun of him and call him Edward. I don't know why you needed to know that, but I told you anyways. 
I've known Jim since I was 12. Uh, we first met when we were in uh, elementary school and then weren't really friends till middle school because we hated each other. <sighs> Jim. See, we were on opposite basketball teams, and we were the two kids that could shoot, and I always beat him. Not true, because he always had this giant on his team that would beat us, and I didn't like that. And I didn't like Jimmy. He had a mullet. Like, <laughs> come on. And I kind of have one now with a man bun. Um, but I didn't like. I didn't like. I didn't like Jim. And then we got to be on the same team. In seventh grade, we were on the same team. And Jim all of a sudden became one of my closest friends. So I'm 12 years old. I got this new guy, Jim, who I no longer, he's no longer my enemy. Uh, he's my friend to me. No, he's my friend. And we enjoy hanging out. And that sparks a friendship that lasts all the way through high school. We experienced a lot of firsts together in our little crew of friends. Uh, we got to college, and I stayed home my freshman year and led actually at this church in the high school ministry. What was that, 12, 13 years ago? And, and Jimmy stayed home as well as freshman year, so we started hanging out a lot more. Uh, through college, when I went off, and then uh, when I came back, stayed friends, and then it, that friendship has continued. I was there uh, the very first night that he actually met the girl that would become his wife. I uh, got to kind of watch that relationship bloom, got to help him walk through a bad breakup before that. He got to watch me and my chaotic mess of high school and and chaos that I've told you all about so uh, embarrassingly. See, we experienced a lot of life together. Uh, about two years ago, two and a half years ago, I got to officiate Jimmy's wedding. So Jim was in my wedding. He was one of my groomsmen, and then I got to officiate his. I can't tell you how much of a joy and an honor that was. But see, the one thing that's different between me and Jimmy is that I have Jesus, and he doesn't. Jim would actually say that I'm the closest thing to Jesus he knows of. He has probably, before he got married, he had probably been to church no more than five times in his life. And yet he was one of my closest friends. And see, me and Jim, I was there the very first time that he and Brian and Danny, kind of the four of us, I was there the very first time that they, they decided at 16 that they wanted to sneak down to the dad's basement and drink cheap Mexican beer and get hammered on like two of them. I was there. I was there like, y'all are freaking dumb. This is stupid. I didn't partake in it. I just laughed at him and then helped him when they got sick. It's true. And see, they knew in high school that even though this guy's, you know, NFCA, and even though this guy loves Jesus, and we're not really about that, uh, we respect him. And see, he was my friend, and he knew I'm never going to shove the Bible down your throat, and you're never going to shove alcohol down mine. And we learned how to coexist, and here's the reason why. Because we loved each other. Because he's my boy. And so, 16 years of friendship, 17 years of friendship, has now led to the place where me and Jimmy still hang out a lot. And whenever we hang out, he's starting to ask questions about Jesus. And he's starting to ask questions about God. And him and his wife are going to a church down the road every single week. And I, listen, I've told Jim about Jesus. I've gotten really courageous and taken that stuff and been like, all right, hey, dude, what do you think about heaven? You know, like I've, I've done that. But the single greatest witness I could have ever done and will ever do to my friend Jimmy is being his friend, being me as his friend. Because he's watching everything I'm going through, everything. And he's seeing my faith remain. We talked last week about how regardless of the pain that enters and regardless of your emotions, 
your faith can be constant because God is constant. And so Jim got to watch me over the years rely upon God in every single season of my life. And now that he's a little bit older, a little bit more mature, starting to ask questions, who's he coming to? Not a pastor, his friend. And you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be able to answer those questions we talked about. You don't have to be a deep theologian. You just got to be a friend to somebody that's in the darkness. And over time, as you show and share them the love of Jesus through your life, they will see Jesus. And your prayers will start to be answered. Because I've prayed for Jimmy since I was 14. I prayed for him so much that I got to sit there as I did the premarital counseling with him and his wife, Aaron. I got to sit there and I said, listen, I, I, have, I have prayed for you with all of my heart for the last 13 years. And for the last 13 years, you know what my prayer's been? That if you would get Jesus, if, Jim, if you got Jesus, if that meant that you getting him means that I could never be friends with you or see you again, I would take that 100 times out of 100. I love you more than our friendship. And the greatest sign of love I could ever show to you is trying to show you Jesus, because that's all that matters. It's just Jesus. So I would give up our friendship if it meant that you could have Jesus. That's how you love on people. You put their faith, you put their eternity, you put their their ability to seek God above your own. You stop being a cul-de-sac and coming in here and sitting to words that are being said And you start living them out. And it's not that you're going and grabbing a bullhorn saying, hey, God loves you. But they're seeing that God loves them through your life, through your actions, through the simple, small things that you can do by being a friend, by sharing in the stories. Stephen Furtick, he's a pastor in, in North Carolina said something incredible when talking about, talking about Moses in the mountaintop and how Moses sought God and he got invited up into the mountain, uh, into, the, into the cloud and into the presence of God. And he got to see the train of God as he walked past in all of his glory. And Stephen Furtick said, here's the problem with the mountaintop is that you are not made to stay on the mountain. What happens on the mountain has to move beyond the mountain. It's meant to go out. And so when you seek God and you find him, you are designed to go and share and show that to others. Go and be a light in the darkness. It's why the Bible says that when we have Jesus, we become a city on a hill for the world to see the love that he's given to us. And if the depth of love is seen in the intensity of the pursuit, then how hard are you loving your friends? What is it you're doing to show them the love of Jesus? Are you being an awesome influence towards them? Or are you just being influenced by them and doing the things that they're doing in darkness? Thinking that you can live this facade of doing that with your entire time and still seek God and find his full blessing, find his full presence. Are you letting them go and do their thing or are you inviting them into something? You can invite them here. Look at that. You can invite them to eat some food next week. Hey, guess what? There's some food trucks coming and a dodgeball tournament and about 200 people our age. You should come hang out with me. You want to come? Yeah, I'll eat food. Y'all erupted when I said we're having free food. 
Will I use food to get people to church? Yes. Anything short of sin, I'll do to bring someone to Jesus. I'm serious. You should too. We can go and love on people in this generation, in this community, in your circles, those that are far from God, and change their lives, change their trajectories, change their history, change their family. And who knows, maybe because you went and loved on someone that you knew and you shared and showed the love of Christ to them, just like Paul commended Philemon to do, being encouraged by the sharing of his faith, the refreshing that comes to that from others. Maybe you doing that to your friend allows them to find Jesus, and then they raise their children towards Jesus, and then those children end up one day being someone that would marry one of your kids, and now you just change the whole thing. I just went totally crazy right there, but you can follow. The point is you have no idea what God would do with your faith, and you have no idea what God would do with your obedience. You would trust him, you would obey him, you would seek him. And then you stop being a cul-de-sac and you start pouring out as God pours into you. So the question that I would leave you with is who do you need to go love on? And I'm not saying, going, hey, go invite 12 friends. No, no, no. One. We say at this church all the time, one matters. One matters to God and one matters to us. So I want you to think of one. Think of their face. Think of their name. Think of their eternity and where they're going right now. I love Jim. He's my boy. And it breaks my heart when I think about the answer to that question. Because it's not with Jesus. It should break your heart too. If it doesn't, ask God that it would. And if it does then let's go love on people. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you that you give us the ability to do this. (laughs) God, I thank you that we have the the grace from you that, um, God, that your work is not dependent upon us. You can do whatever you want to do. You don't need us. And yet you invite us to be a part of your movement. You invite us to be a part of spreading the kingdom. You invite us to be a part of spreading the love of Jesus through our lives. We can all proselytize. We can all evangelize. We can all go and share and show the love of Jesus to others by uniquely being us. And Father, maybe there's some in the room tonight. I pray that there are many in the room tonight that as I even say this, they're wondering, I don't even have that. There are people in the room tonight that, God, they are the ones in darkness. They're the ones that need to hear that word. They're the ones that need to see that love. And, God, maybe they got here tonight because of a friend that invited them in. Father, I pray that you would allow the friendship of those people to continue to blossom. I pray you'd allow the person that is far from you to understand that the reason why they're here is because they're loved. They are loved by you, they are loved by me, and they are loved by everyone in this room, all the saints, everyone who has Jesus, and that every person in this room can have Jesus. It's not an exclusive club. It is inclusive to all of those who would give their hearts to you, who would trust in you and say, you are the only way, Jesus, and so I give my life to you. Give me that light that everybody else has because there's something different about them. 
Father, I pray that you would allow us to seek you in all of our circumstances. Through the trials and the triumphs, outside of our pride and in the midst of our pain, Father, that we would find you. Because at the core of what we're doing, we're really just seeking you. We're really just trying to find you. We're really just being trying to be fulfilled by what you've put inside of us already. So God, may you be glorified in our lives. May you be glorified in our stories. And Father, if if we are here to make Jesus famous, then may we all choose to live out the banner of let's go love on people. Let's go show him Jesus. So Jesus, show yourself to us. We're going to draw near to you in the next few moments, and we ask that you draw near to us put people's faces in our hearts, break our hearts for those that are lost and far from you. May we be a people that leave the 99 to go after the one, to do whatever it takes to bring people into the kingdom, to expand it, to glorify you. So may you do just that, Father, in this place and in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray.